when I was at Moody, one of my professors shared a story with, with me. I want to share with, with you. I can't vouch for this, this story as far as his credibility, but he was a great guy. He was a good teacher, a godly sort of guy. He said when he was at Dallas Seminary, there was one of the, uh, his friends, a guy that lived in the house where he and a bunch of the, the guys lived, uh, was, was just a sharp guy, just a neat, godly guy, super heritage, not a lot of stuff packed in his bags, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, uh, mature, gifted, just a quality guy. Make things better. He was dating a quality girl, someone who was equally healthy emotionally and spiritually and great heritage and, and yada, yada. They've seen each other's parents and both parents were saying, oh, yeah, this is great. Good job. They talked to the friends and the friends were, man, you guys got to go for it. This is a no brainer. And so the, the guy was thinking that we're going to call him John and the girl will call Jane. OK, uh, John says, you know what? I know what everyone else thinks and I know what I think, but I'm not sure what God thinks. So I'm going to I'm going to. Pray. So he talks to God. And he says, Lord, uh, since Gideon can do this kind of thing, I can do it. Judges six. He says, um, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put a towel out on the, the front yard of, of the house, you know, this 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 evening. And in, in the morning, if the towel is soaking wet and the ground is dry, I will assume you're saying, no, don't marry Jane. Okay. See, how he, see how he loads his thing. So he's got the towel out there. He goes to bed. Then that night, and this is, my professor's telling me this is a true story, that night in the house a water fight breaks out. And a guy comes chasing another guy with a bucket full of water and he throws the old bucket at him and the guy ducks and it goes out the window and guess where it lands? Right on the towel. And so John runs down the stairs the next morning and he looks at the towel, it's just soaking wet and the ground is dry and he goes, Whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? God, this, she's perfect and everyone's saying she's perfect and I believe she's perfect and tell you what, Gideon did it twice, I can do it twice. I'm going to put the towel out there again this evening, Lord, and this time if you don't want me to marry Jane, then, then make sure that, that next morning the towel is dry and the ground all around it is wet. Now, if I get up in the morning and the towel is dry and the ground is wet, I will take that as a sign that you don't want me to marry Jane. And so he goes to bed. Late that night, one of the guys in the house comes back uh, from work and the driveway's all filled and the Dallas doesn't have Greek houses, but kind of like that. What do you do? Well, you just pull up on the front yard and park your car. And so he pulled right up, right over the towel that night. Monsoon just rained all over the place. Next morning, the guy gets back up, gets in his car, takes off and goes back to work. Well, John comes running downstairs and he looks. He says, sure, the towel's going to be soaking wet, but the towel is dry and everything is soaking wet. Now, how would you counsel John and Jane? Now, before you say anything, okay, look at it from John's parents' perspective. You've been praying for this little boy from ages on. And you know what can happen if you get the wrong one. If you get somebody that's just emotionally unhealthy or there's just issues or they've got too much packed in the bags, it can just be problems. But you've met this girl and she's incredible. She's perfect for your son. How would you counsel? Now, what if you were Jane's parents and you've seen some of the stuff she's brought home in the past? You're going, oh, please. And you see this guy, though. And it's like, oh, yes, yes. And on top of that, his parents are wealthy. You're going, this is a good thing. How would you counsel? Now, we're not going to even answer that question. That's your assignment on your way home this afternoon in the car. You talk about it. How would you counsel it? We're not going to answer that, but it does present us with a very interesting question. And that is, how can a believer discern the will of God? 
uh, how is God's will acted out in our decisions? How can we figure out God's mind in the decisions we have to make? Because life, generally speaking, right, is nothing more than a series of decisions. You are deciding, should I go to college? If so, what college should I go to? And if I go to such and such a college, how am I going to pay for it? That's a good question to figure out before you get the bill. And then, then, then if I get there, what major do I take? And if I graduate and I get out of this place, what job do I take, A or B? And do I marry so-and-so or break up with so-and-so? And do I move my family to Albuquerque with their promotion? And how do I invest my money? Because you're losing it all over the place today. And, and how do you deal with your aging parents? And uh, just questions, big ones, decisions that you have to make. And you know as well as I do that some of these decisions that we have to make are pretty much irreversible. I mean, some of them, we go down, once we start down that road, we're not coming back without a lot of pain and money and scars. It's just, it's just very substantial. And my guess is that if we had time to go around this morning and everyone to share their story, we would find some major regret in here. Probably more than we know. Even today, living with consequences of a decision that we made a long time back. And oh man, if we could have that weekend over again. And if I would have just said no instead of yes. And if I I just would have listened to my parents, or if I just would have researched before I gave this guy all my money, or if I just would have went with company A instead of company B 30 years ago, life would be different. And most of us in here, I'd say all of us in here, generally speaking, even though we might want to uh, blame where we're at in life on other people, and certainly to an extent we've all been victimized. Um, But generally speaking, we are where we are based on the decisions we've made. So this idea, because decisions have so much weight on them, and because it will direct, we say, decisions determine your destiny. Because that's so, it's important that we try to understand how understanding God's will impacts the decisions we make. And so for the month of August, at least the next three weeks, we're going to be going over what Scripture says regarding the will of God, how a believer can ascertain the will of God in the decisions they have to make. Very significant study. I think if you you look at all of what the Bible says about the will of God, um, it really comes down to three categories. This concept of the will of God is in three categories in Scripture. One is referred to as the sovereign will of God. Theologians call it the decreed will of God. And this is really what God is going to do because God is God. You know, we can't pray it into existence. We can't stop it. It's who he, it's what he's, he's going to do. We might recognize that people wanted Jesus to come on earth. When he came on earth, Simeon was looking for him and waiting for the consolation of Israel. But Galatians tells us that when the time was perfect, God sent Jesus. We recognize that evil, wicked hands were involved in Jesus' crucifixion, but Scripture tells us that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. God's sovereign plan is God, it's God is not passively looking at this world. He's very, very active in it. He's moving. He's in control, but God's sovereign will is best seen in the rearview mirror. From there, when we look back, we can see what God is doing and what's he over. Now, this is very comforting in our decision-making. Because he's even sovereign over my decisions. And he has a way of stopping and changing and molding things. He can do it. He's God. But after that's said and done, understanding God's sovereignty, huge doctrine. We should do a series on this sometime. Understanding God's sovereignty, though it is comforting, does not give me guidance in what decision I need to make. I mean, knowing God's sovereign does not 
help me figure out whether I should move my family to Albuquerque or not. You know, it just doesn't doesn't fit. So we're not going to talk about that one today. A second category we see of God's will is his personal will. Um, This is what you need to know is actually the smallest category in Scripture. But this is the one we like to camp on. You know, who should I hang with and where should I go and what job should I take? And these are the decisions, the big decisions we think of that we want to make. And it seems in Scripture... There is a, a personal will for individuals, to, to an extent anyway. God told Noah to build a boat, didn't tell anyone else to build a boat. That was an assignment he gave to Noah. God called Paul to Macedonia. Didn't call any of the other apostles, but he did call Paul there. Philip's job was to meet the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Azotus. That was his task. So it seems that there is a personal will of God, at least to an extent, for us. But that's where we want to hang out. We're not going to hang out there. Now, however... What we're going to say the next three weeks, I trust, will influence that. And let me mention this about that before we go any further. Don't you think that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it? I think so. Don't you think that God's a pretty good communicator? God's a pretty good communicator. Do you really think your Father, Heavenly Father, who gave Jesus for you, would play the shell game with you. You know, here, here's three or four decisions. Go ahead. You choose wrong and ha <laughs> things to be you, man. Is this what God does to us? Or is God clear in his communication and wants you to know it more than you want to know it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's his, his, we call that his unrevealed will because you're not going to find a verse that says thou shalt move to Albuquerque. It's just not, it's just not there. You're not going to, thou shalt marry Murgatroyd. You're not going to find that kind of thing. Third category of God's will is what we call God's will of desire or God's um, revealed will. And we, we, this is really what the Bible is all about. The, the revealed will of God is every page in here. But we learn some things about the revealed will of God. Scripture, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. We recognize that God's will of desire is not always done, is it? It's not, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen doth her brood, but you were unwilling. That's what he wanted. His will of desire does not always happen. Next verse. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. If God's will is always done, then every believer will be sanctified and no believer will ever fall into sexual immorality. But we know that's not true. God's will of desire is not always done. By the way, if you're here this morning saying, I wonder what God's will is for my life. I can tell you at least partially what it is for your life. Right here. Avoid sexual immorality. You don't have to pray on whether or not you should be with him or her, or someone you shouldn't be with him or her. You don't have to ask the counsel of your friends. God's already spoken on it. It's God's will. Avoid sexual morality. There, if you get that one down, at least you're on your way to fulfilling God's will for your life. Um, all of Scripture, every page of Scripture is God's revealed will. It's found in two, two places. Principles. And, pre- and precepts. Now, your precepts are your commands. The thou shalt, thou shalt not, the scripture. It's uh, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus hath forgiven you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Confess your sins to one another. Don't be anxious for anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. These are the princ- these are the precepts, commands. We got those. Those are easy enough, clear enough for us to do. But every other portion of scripture has a principle. 
that you and I are to apply to our life. Check this out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. Not some of it, all of it, and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Why do we have all of Scripture? That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the stories in the Bible do not work like primetime television. They are not there to entertain us. They are there to teach us a principle. There's a lot of stories, according to John, that Jesus did that aren't recorded in here. Only some of what Jesus did is recorded in here. Only some of what Moses did. Only some of what David did. But that which is recorded in here is recorded because behind every psalm, every parable, every bit of poetry or prophecy or narrative, there is a principle. Your job and mine is to figure out what that principle is and apply it to, to our, our life. That's the deal. Now, I know what you hear sometimes is, see, I know it. Bible's just a big rule book, man. I just, it just rules and rules and rules. That's what it's all for me. Um, Jesus talking about, about that issue in Matthew 11. Neat, neat text. Look at, look at this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That yoke that he's talking about is his word. Uh, he says, and if you, if you seek to understand it, you know what? You'll find rest, not for your body per se, but for your souls. Are you just wore out? Are you discouraged with life and, and empty religiosity? Uh, Jesus says, you'll find rest, refreshment for your soul here in his, in his word. It, it works a, a little like this. Uh, let's say your neighbor comes to you, knocks on your door, and he says, you know, I just want to let you know, I closed down my business, economy's a mess, and uh, so I had a big old warehouse, and I had a dog that I kept at the warehouse, it's a Doberman Pinscher, and, uh, you know, she's a great dog, but she's a trained attack dog, and at night, I'd let her off and let her go in the warehouse, and she knew her job was, she sees anybody, she attacks. Well, I'm done with my warehouse, I brought her home, she's in my backyard, I'm just telling you this, because I know you got a little boy, and I would encourage you strongly to keep your little boy out of my, my, my yard. So you go to your little boy and you say, listen, Junior, bad, vicious dog, stay out of the guy's backyard. So Junior says, got it, Dad, not a problem. He's in, he's in the backyard and he looks over the fence and he sees one of his Hot Wheel cars. How did my Hot Wheel car get over the fence? For, I've been looking for that. I, I can't live without that Hot Wheel car. And so he needs that Hot Wheel car. And the dog, though, is across the other side of the yard asleep under a tree. And he's thinking, that does not look like a vicious dog. Plus, my dad does not understand my speed. I can hop this fence and get my Hot Wheel car and get back before the dog will even know what happened. So Junior starts over the fence. And you see out the kitchen window what's going on. Ah! You know, drop everything, run, grab Junior off the fence and pull him down. No! You know, you kill him because the dog was about to do that. And what Junior has to do, right, is Junior has to look and say, my Sphere of, of, of understanding. My history tells me one thing. A little bit different than what my parents, my dads is telling me. My, my, my understanding of the situation and the need for the car and the, the uh, lethargy of that beast over there. And, and, and my speed. and That stuff my father doesn't know. And, uh, but Junior has to say, doesn't he? My dad knows better than I do. And even though I feel what I feel and I sense and I'm sure I can handle it and all these things, 
I'm going to trust him because he knows some stuff I don't know. And I'm not going over that fence. We're not going to ask for a raise of hands. But how many times have we known something wasn't really good, but we thought, you know, obviously I, I can handle this. So it's going to be in and out, not a problem. And we're being stung today even, going, oh, a bad decision. That's the way God's word works. And it's a recognition that he knows a little bit more than we know. And we can trust him because he's not mean and trying to stop our fun. He loves us. And his, his, his words protect us. That's what that is, is, is about. That's what that, that's what that does. Um, as we uh, think on this idea of the revealed will of God, this is why this is huge. Because so many folk don't want anything to do with the revealed will of God. But they want this unrevealed will of God. And they're praying, please, God, show me, please, God, show me, please, God, show me. And I'm guessing God might say, well, I, I've given you an awful lot of my will here. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not interested. But this over here is important. Yeah, I'll get to that in time. But this is what I need. And God says, well, well, don't you care about my will? Yeah, that's what I'm asking you for. I want your will. He said, this is my will. Will you do it? No, no I'm going to do it later. But do, we want, I'm not so sure when it comes down to it that we really want his will. Not as much as we think we do. Is it possible that his unrevealed will is just a little bit more of this? Is it possible that there's no incongruity here? And that how this is, whether we like it or not, that his unrevealed will, if we get it, we might not like that either. I think of Jesus in the garden when he says, you know, I've got this cup coming and it's flogging and crucifixion. And Father, if it's possible, let's, let's let this thing be passed. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father's will is flogging and crucifixion at 33 years of age. So we say, well, that's not a, that's not a good thing. Uh, now, here's where the big idea is for this morning. If we chase after, pursue the revealed will of God, Scripture promises, promises, no question about it, you will find the unrevealed will of God. If you chase after the unrevealed will, unrevealed will of God, negating this, you're never going to find it. But Scripture promises that if you pursue your, your life it's chasing after the revealed will of God, you will find the unrevealed. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you've got your Bibles, and I trust you do, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're just going to look at one verse for just a moment. One verse for just a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, period. Second sentence. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's look at that second sentence for just a second. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That, that word test and approve, it's really one Greek word, fascinating word. It means to basically to discern, to understand. It says, then you will be able to discern what God's will is. You'll be able to not just discern it, but the word holds a nuance that says you'll be able to embrace it. You will be able to do it, and you will be able to do it with the recognition that this is good. That's quite the, quite the promise. As we look at this, first think with me for a second. 
Often when we think about the will of God, we think this. We think, I'm going to pray, God, show me your will. And then God's will has to be delivered to me. Either a burning bush or a vision or a dream or some prophetic utterance from somebody or some supernatural manifestation of coincidences will throw it, come together or some sense and feeling that I'll have. Something, one of those things, God's will is delivered to me. But I think looking at this verse, most often, and God, that happens sometimes, but most often, God's will is not delivered to you. It is discerned within you. Then you will be able to discern. That's, that's significant. The issue may not be sincerity. The issue may not be how much you've prayed about it. The issue may be ability. You just might not be able to discern God's will. Look at the then. Important word. Then you'll be able to test and prove God's will. In other words, if you don't do that first sentence, first part of the verse, forget the second part of the verse. That first part of the verse, that first sentence, is not in your heart and life and mind. Forget the second one. It's not going to be there. It's, not going to, it's just not going to be there. So the first part, what does it say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. Yesterday, Serena Williams won the uh, women's single tennis. She's got the gold. I don't know how many Olympic medals she has over her career. I know she's got 23 grand slams. Clearly, Serena Williams is the best female tennis player. Some would say she's the best tennis player, period. Let me ask you, how many of y'all think that you could get on the court with a tennis racket and be competitive with Serena. Let's just say you got a better racket than hers and you got the classier stuff that it was strung with. Maybe you got you put more money into trainers than she. I doubt it, but let's just say you are. Maybe you even got a cooler outfit than Serena would have. Can you compete? Maybe let's say you can out outpray Serena. Can you outplay Serena? That's the question. It may have nothing to do with sincerity, desire, please. I want. It may have everything to do with ability. You just are not able because unless we are transformed, we cannot discern what God's will is. This is transformed by, by our mind, our, our moral capacity. Uh, this, when God created Adam and Eve, we know uh, God uh, and Adam and Eve, they thought the same. Adam and Eve did not think uh, as they had limits. They weren't omniscient, but what they could understand in life was exactly in line with God. They had his values. They hated what he hated. They loved what he loved. They understood life from God's point of view, God's eyes. They saw life. But then when sin entered, whole, everything was broken. Their logic was, was broken. Their understanding was darkened. Their mind was, was warped. Their values the gap got wider between them and, and God. And so they just are not thinking right. This is us. This is, is where we're at. Just not thinking God's thoughts. And so what the scripture says is you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because as you pour through his principles and precepts, you'll begin to think like God and, and you move closer and closer to his thoughts. Until you're seeing life through his eyes. We'll never hit that perfection point, but we begin seeing life through his eyes. How he wants it to be. What, what he thinks is good and what he thinks is bad. In 1978, there was a, a television show um, 
based on a Marvel comic starring Bill Bixby. Its name was The Hulk. Yes, The Hulk. And you remember David Banner, right? And he's doing what all scientists do in television. He's playing with gamma radiation. And and somehow he gets exposed. And it doesn't really bother him most of the time. But on occasion, when he really has extreme fear or anger or something, he just kind of turns into this seven foot tall, 350 pound green monster. You know, and rips up all of his clothes. And I don't know how he always gets new clothes before the next scene, but he does somehow. And, and he's just, he, the word is used transformed or metamorphosis, which is the exact same word that we've got here in Romans 12. Metamorphosis, it's change. It's like from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You know what? Same life. The life did not die here and then a new life start. Exact same life, but it's radically changed. Now, here's the deal. Perhaps... You spiritually came to know Christ. When I was a kid, I came to know Christ. Wonderful, understand, understood his salvation. He died in my stead. Uh, he didn't need to, but I was basically under God's judgment. Christ took my sin away. Oh, man, that was incredible. Great night. And I just kept going on with life. I was going to heaven. That's fantastic, but that's all. And then somebody pulled me aside. Several years later, and they said, listen, that's good. You're going to heaven. Good job. You're a Christian. Great. But uh, I don't know if that's all that God has got for you. See, you're over here, Mark. Your thinking's over here. You need to have your mind transformed. You need to spend time in God's Word and get closer and closer to what he's thinking because he's got something for you, and you're not going to be able to discern what his will is unless you're thinking his thoughts. And that was an amazing Amazing time. And I wonder if there might be some folk here who they've come to know Christ. That's great. Wonderful. But you're not realizing that you're thinking and God's thinking two different things. So my thoughts are not your thoughts, that who you are, that what you're about, where you're going to, your values, everything else. There's a big gap. You're going to heaven. You're clean spiritually. You're all, but practically speaking, your mind is still broken. Your values are still a wide gap. You need to be transformed. You've never dedicated your life. To Christ. You've never come to him and said, thank you, salvation thing. He was writing to Christians here, not writing to non-believers. And to come before him and say, the rest of my life, you know what, I'm not going to be chasing after this unrevealed will that, you know what, I, in my current state I might not like anyway. I'm going to be chasing after your revealed will. And by golly, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to know this and to live it out. And if you do that, he promises, he promises that his unrevealed will will be known to you. Let me encourage you to, if you don't have a life verse, make this your life verse. Excellent, excellent verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of us can quote it, and that's fantastic. But think about the words for just a second. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That means throughout your life and everything you do, be conscious of him. Be conscious of what he has for you. Be conscious of what he has to say about that situation. And if you do those things, what's the promise? He will make your path, the unrevealed will, straight, obvious to you. What an incredible promise. That if we spend our life, first step in knowing God's will, if we spend it pursuing his revealed will, it's our quest His unrevealed will will be found as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm grateful for this morning for Dan Norwood.
was able to share with me. This idea that you'd want to transform my thinking. I hadn't even thought about the fact that my thinking was so far from yours. The gap of understanding and values and everything else. How well I was discipled by this world. And your desire through your Holy Spirit and your word is to disciple us and straighten out our thinking. Thank you so much, O oh God, that you promise that you're going to make our path straight. That you promise that we'll be able to discern, understand, know, test and approve your will. And we'll find it to be good and pleasing and perfect. Lord, would you give me the strength? Would you give my brothers and sisters the strength even this week? Oh, God. To pursue your revealed will first and foremost in the name of Jesus. Amen.